friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my TV-watching junkie and co-host, Alex Dandino. Good Lord, brace yourselves for misery and depression. Not from us, but from the movie we're covering tonight. But before that, a little business. Uh, please take a second, right now, right this second. Leave a rating and review wherever you find the show, especially if that happens to be Apple Podcast app. That helps us out a ton. Uh, finding new people, charts, all that algorithmic overlord bullshit. Uh, we appreciate all of those uh, those of you who do it. Every time we read one, it makes us very happy. Thank you, guys for the help go to youtube subscribe to our channel film alchemist you can see video versions of these podcasts and some other uh projects that we'll be churning out over there so go subscribe now follow us on all the social media you're on we're there too uh and we love communicating with you guys in that vein you can email the show filmalchemistpod at gmail.com with ideas for movies you would like to see covered new old double features guest hosts. We're going to be doing more new movies this year. Uh, assuming there are new movies this year. Time will tell, but that's our plan. Uh, so get at us, guys. Uh, we love hearing from you. All right. 2021. 2020's fucking evil brother so far. But we still have to keep hope alive. Um, unlike this movie, Requiem for a Dream. So we decided... To start January with a bunch of New Year's resolution-themed shows. Uh, so this would be, I want to quit a bad habit, right? A lot of years, it's, you know, I'm going to quit drinking so much, quit cigarettes, quit H. Yeah, I just got to get off the smack. I don't know. Maybe that's yeah. your life. Get um, off that boss you, gag. <laughs> yeah, right. If you can watch this movie and not want to rip your skin off and change your life for the better... um. There are numbers to call. Seek help. Uh, this <laughs> movie, Requiem for a Dream. I have seen it since college. I just can't remember when. But when I was in college, this was a big time mega. It was one of those movies that came out and it felt like it left a crater in your mind. With which you're like, all movies must fill this level of awesomeness. Um, I'm not sure that was my experience today. Alex... Walk me through your initial thoughts on Requiem for a Dream. Ooh, boy, boy, oh boy, oh boy. Um, Requiem for a Dream was a movie I saw, and I remember I saw it my senior year of high school. It was the first mm. time I saw it. That is also the last time I saw it, for the exact reasons you just <laughs> described. It's been 20 years since I watched this movie. Um, that's more than 20 years. Sorry, I graduated high school not into it's been 20 years since it was 15 or almost it's almost 16 years since i saw it um it's been 20 years since it's been made wow you know it's amazing because like this was that movie when you started college that everyone's like have you seen requiem for a dream and it's always like oh, one yeah. of those things it's one of those like lightning rod movies there's a poster of it on someone's wall and people are like what's that all about like you just gotta watch it <laughs> Yeah, well, there was because we went to yeah. college and everyone like brought their collections, right? So everyone's like trying to show off your gems, right? Like the shit that proves that you're more of a film student than other kids. Right, but you right. had kind of your camps, right? So I would say the Requiem kids were also kind of the Donnie Darko kids. That's the category. I would, then you had your Lebowski guys, uh -huh. your Tarantino guys, right? Like there were these different genres. There yeah. were some of us that were just like horror movie guys. 
But I think Requiem and Donnie Darko filled a very similar space. Yeah, the the Requiem guys were very into, <laughs> as from my recollection, everyone who thought Requiem for a Dream was like the movie, which, again, I want to state this very clearly because we're going to talk about this movie in a way that seems negative in some aspects. This movie is unparalleled masterpiece. Like, this is a great movie. There is nothing about this movie yeah. that I think is bad, particularly because of the way it's made. Like, this is Darren Aronofsky being Darren Aronofsky. Like, that's – this is a second fucking movie, too. Like, imagine being a director yeah. and finding your voice in your second movie like this. Like, Pi is its own thing altogether. This is an amazing feat, though, to to be able to, like, find your voice as a director like this in this kind of movie, in this sort of context. So – for me, I've always thought of Requiem for a Dream as it's a great movie that I can never watch again because it's so exhausting watching this movie. Uh, skin crawling is a great way to put it. Yeah. I honestly just like – it's like running a marathon, man. Like I get to the end and I'm honestly like sweaty and exhausted from watching the movie. Yeah, the difference is a marathon is good for you. This is just fucking <laughs> agony. <laughs> Right? This is more like having someone who has no teeth slowly chew your dick off and flip you off the whole time. Yes. It's horrible brutality. And, so, and that's the thing. Again, I also would like to agree with you. I think this movie is really well made. Some movies, the entire point of their existence is to be – like you shouldn't watch something of this ilk or you know even like an older one like The Lost Weekend. Yeah. You'd be like, what a fun romp through alcoholism destroying a man's life, right? Like, right. that's not the movie this is. No. And, you know, you can argue the merits of, you know, because I've had this debate with a lot of friends, right? That at the end of the day, a movie's sole responsibility is to entertain someone, right? The movies in their own right are kind of drugs of the masses where life sucks. I hate my job. My wife's snagging me. My kids don't appreciate me. The car tire blue, but I can watch Predator and forget right. for an hour and a half. And it makes you not, you know, go ape shit and murder everyone around you. Right, right. I agree with that on some level, but there is a more artistic twinge, I think, to some people where you can really. So I don't have to become a heroin junkie to understand that kind of methodology. And I think sometimes going into those worlds that are either so uncomfortable and so scary or so foreign to you. Yeah. You know, that's not always going to be something that's just like, oh, what a lighthearted romp. But it, it can be right. good and cathartic for you in, in a similar way. Right. Or at least that's how I look at it. No, I agree. I think entertainment, I agree with you, by the way. I think anytime you step into a movie theater, anytime you sit down to watch a movie, you're, you're wanting to be entertained. No one watches a movie for except for us as like a labor of love. Because... <laughs> 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 like... Absolutely nobody sits down and watches a movie like, well, I just got to watch it, I guess. Like, I've never sat – if you sit down and watch movies like that, then, I don't know, pick something else. I, but to me, there are varying levels of entertainment. Like, I don't watch movies like – I don't watch movies like The Big Lebowski the same way I watch movies like Blue Velvet or like – Sure. I wouldn't watch – I wouldn't watch like Phantom Thread – Unless you know, yeah. unless I was in the mood to watch Phantom Thread. And if in the and like you're saying, if I'm in the mood to watch Predator, I'm gonna watch Predator. It's fun. 
It's entertaining. I think the question becomes is how many people are in the mood often to do this? And yeah. I think maybe coming off the times that we are in right now makes it exceptionally hard to stomach. I'd be super curious to know who listens to this show, how many times they've watched this movie. Yeah, and I mean, what I would argue about this film, right, is that the 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 style that Aronofsky employs in this film, right, it's very in your face, right? It's this kinetic. is not invisible hand stuff. This is constantly reminding you Mm-hmm. That you were in a false reality, right? Whether that's to uh, reinforce the drug narrative or to remind you, it's okay, it's okay. This is all oh, fake. Don't no. get too. See, I don't think that's how it's. I don't. Th- that's. I've never. Read oh, it see, that I way. I think it's an extremely important important double edged sword because I think if this movie important, important, it's important, right? Back in Prohibition, I saw the damages of these. <laughs> oh, you're from Coney Island, huh? You're from. <laughs> Back when I was slinging papes, watching men throw their families away on the Back drink. Back when I no. was tossing boss skag at the locals. All right, all right, all right. You fucking comedian pronunciation <laughs> devil. Any, what I'm saying is, is that I think what he does, right, is because this is the thing. I, I called this movie to you. I said, this is film student catnip. Yes. It's everything we love, right? Because as a film student, you're like, how can I make the movie about me as a director? Me, 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 me. Right. So any beat, you can overly stylize this and that. Right. Some people who are film theorists, the more you do that, the more you kind of destroy the the fabric of what a movie can be. And so you're disrupting, you know, people's experience in this movie, particularly. I think it is so important that not only because this here's like a great scene. Right. That I thought, what a weird fucking choice. So there's the scene. This is early in the movie. Right. When um, Jared Leto and Jennifer Conley are laying in bed. After some uh, fornication. <laughs> so this is a simple scene that you see in movies sometimes, right? Two people who just fugged look at each other and they're like, man, I like you way more right now. The endorphins are running. The drugs are kicking. What a great time to be alive. It's a simple fucking scene, right? Aronofsky chooses to shoot this in a split screen, right? So even though they're right there and just pulling the camera back, even a foot, you probably can get them both in just fine. We have that barrier between them. We see Jared Leto's arm move and not match up with his hand that is reaching out to touch her face or her, his arm. We can cut in really tight to her caressing his elbow. These, and in a weird way, it's, it's such a, an interesting beat that he pulls out constantly in the movie. Right. Right. Cause to me, that line between them, and constantly cutting away from them in the moment should destroy the intimacy of the scene, but it doesn't. So in my mind, what is the purpose that's serving? It is to keep me at arm's length from the fucking whores that are about to happen, right? See, and this is like, I mean, this is a, this is a great example of what like our tour theory does and sort of the general notion of why would you do something like that? Why wouldn't you make it? Why would you make a movie is style over substance, so on and so forth? Because for me, whenever I've of the two times now I've watched this movie <laughs> and anytime I've spoken about it, because <laughs> it's burned in my brain, even though I've only seen it twice. Um, for me, the quick cutting, the, um, the phrase is hip hop montage. They always, that's the way that they always describe it. Cause <laughs> this movie, this movie, I believe I looked it up. It has over 2000 cuts, which most movies have an average of like 600 to 700. So again, the hip hop montage concept, 
is specific to Aronofsky and like it's very like it goes with the music it goes with the beat like it's very specific so for me I've always interpreted that as making sure that the viewer knows this is this is how it feels to be on what they're on right now you're experiencing the movie the way they're experiencing life which is why things quick cut you see a lot of cross cutting that scene in particular is interesting because it is a very still quiet scene but he doesn't want you to forget, like, don't forget these people are literally, like, waiting for the next fix. Like, they're on their yeah. way to being done with this reality. So, like, that kind of cutting makes sense to me because it works within the narrative of how he's making the movie. And, like, I'm someone who likes auteur theory. I think it's very interesting. It's a fun way to watch movies, especially movies from different kinds of directors. Because Aronofsky's a great example of a guy who's developed his style over many years now and his movies feel very different now than they did when he first made this. Cause I got to tell you, man, I don't remember watching movies that looked like this before I saw this movie, except for pie, that, which is also, better. that's what I mean, right? This is film student catnip because there's yes. so much style, right? When you're watching something like Harold and Maud in film school, right? It's harder to see the hand of Hal Ashby than it is Darren Aronofsky, right? It's, it's very in your face. It's very intense. It, it has a bit of that Spike Lee vibe, right? I remember the first yeah. time I saw Do the Right Thing. And you're like, oh, my God, like something extra is going on. And in your young mind that you start latching onto that. I think the difference is, right, is I think for film students, you see that and you're like, that can be me. I can make everyone fucking right, heal to right. Zod. And on top of that, apparently at that age, right, because I think everyone who's in film school, there's an inherent level of your life's just okay. So our our threshold for suffering is so much higher in college oh my God. where you're, you're constantly finding ways to be the victim and life is hard and tragic. Right, um, right. I remember being in like my first screenwriting class and you're like, boy, a lot of us wrote suicide into these short films. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like the whole experience you go through. But what I think is different, I think people would hear me say that and think that that's a slight. I don't think it is, right? It no, is, I would disagree. It, yeah, it is no. drawing to your eye, right? Because what this, what he does, right? And I think the drugs are a really good kind of stealth subversion of what could be happening, right? So that scene where they're face-to-face, right? It's not pulling me out like I thought it would be, right? But what it is is... There are things that are gross and scary and horrible. If you saw these junkies running around the street, you wouldn't want to run up and wrap your arms around them, right? Right. You'd be like, wow, look at that person fucking up. Right. But this is a way to go in. So he can, through the style, right, he gives you other things to look at that can draw you in but also let you feel safe, right? Like maybe a better example of this is when Ellen Burstyn um, is starting her diet. And she's on this grapefruit diet, right? Mm-hmm. And so we see a grapefruit. The grapefruit just disappears. The yeah. egg is just shells. The coffee's just gone. We don't even get to see her enjoy the bites, right? It's a weird choice, right? It's just a weird visual choice. And it reminds you, fake, fake, fake. This is fake. And this is not a drug-induced scene, right? This is reality, right? The other two characters are junkies. She's not yet. So by doing this, it's just reinforcing that she felt like she got nothing, like it literally disappeared. Okay, now we start looking at the fridge a little different. So reminding us that her reality is weird, it kind of, again, it has that same thing of we feel horrible for this old lady. You want to be like, just fucking eat. What are you doing? And you, I think that a lot of the that in the early parts of the film are to train your mind 
to be able to survive the third act. Because if you if you are all the way in, right, Inception style, this movie will fucking crush you. Yeah, It would well, crush like, you if you weren't, like, at arm's length. Right. Well, I think that's a really important thing that you bring up is that this movie does a very good job of using repetition to dull your senses. And that's the thing that I think is most important about what Aronofsky's doing is he gets in your face, like the hip hop montage stuff, the quick cuts, the like the, the, the montage things in general and the split screens are meant to sort of disorient you and like reorient you to the way that these characters are living their lives. And then yes, once you're used to it, and I mean, like that, I fucking the scene where they start actually making money selling heroin. Mm-hmm. That repetition is very important because what it's supposed to do is desensitize you completely to the action itself. Like, these guys are dealing hard drugs on the pier. Like this is a big problem. Like that's terrifying. They're sitting there under a light and constantly cutting back and forth. You're desensitized to this, so you know what's happening. Because I don't know if you noticed, but like especially at the end, the way it's cut is very different than the way it is in the beginning. So mm-hmm. for me, what's fascinating and what makes the end of that movie, cause we'll get to that. Like the last 30 minutes of this movie are horrible, but like not in a bad way, by the way, <laughs> but like just brutal. But because yeah. you're so desensitized to the quick cutting, when it gets to that part at the end, you're right. Like you're conditioned and yet, the cut is somehow different. So it's so much worse and so many different levels. It's pretty fascinating. Like it's, it's when for right. me, like the, the mood changes completely obvious, like, and it's meant to, and there's even that fast cut with the title card, the title card. But like when Tyrone is in the car with the drug dealers and the guy gets shot and then they have the body cam where he's running. That's the Jesus complete. Christ, yeah. That is the fucking tone shift in the movie. Like everything gets fucking thrown. Everything gets everything yeah. we've seen until that point is literally thrown out the window. Yeah, see, I it's think the nuts. scene to me where you're like, oh God, because I there's a version of this movie that I run in my mind, right? If you took Ellen Burstyn's character out of the film, how would this movie work for us, right? Because the other three characters are people who are just and again, drug addiction is a medical problem, right? It's a chemical imperative. You don't, you can't just willpower your way out of it, right? Right. But the other are younger kids that got caught up partying and now have this problem, right? In a weird way, I think most people who watch this movie, you don't feel as bad for what happens to those three throughout the movie. I think the absolute crushing part of this film is what happens to Ellen Burstyn. Because yes. this is just a mom... And, and well, again, she's... I think the opening of this film is so brilliant, right? That she has to chain her TV to the radiator. She goes back and has bought it from this same guy. She's bought her shitty TV back 25 mm-hmm. times, right? She has that crushing line, right? She's still trying to talk to him through the door. Where she's like, the chain's not for you. It's for the robbers. And he's like, why don't you come out then? And she can't answer, right? And even to the guy, he's like, why don't you just fucking report him? Maybe you can help him. And she's just, he's all I got. But you realize inherently you're like she doesn't really even have that so we set this this portrait of this lady who's just holding on to any bit of decency she can in the the moment right the moment that this movie becomes i think just an exercise in withstanding suffering right is the moment she takes that diet pill because you fucking know you're like the one decent person in the movie right 
I shouldn't say the one decent person, right? But you know what? I, the, the person who had made it this far, I think maybe that's it, right? You start thinking about what if my mom became a junkie at her age, right? She's like a grandma and like I watch her play with my kids. What if one day she came over to do that and she was fucking strung out like Ellen Burstyn is at the end of this movie and it's a horrifying, awful fucking moment, right? So, and I think this gets back to the cutting too because the repetition, what it also does is it, there are probably, what would you say, five to ten scenes in this movie that feel like they exist in the real world. I mean. Right? Yeah. Unencumbered by the cutting and the fastness. And so what he does is he never makes it, like even Ellen Burstyn, who is essentially one of us, an audience member at the start. Right. She has the the addictions we all have. TV, right. eating too much, normal addictions, coffee. Once we lose her, we're so fucking untethered in this film. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the thing that is most important about this movie is without Ellen Burstyn's character, this is a wildly unrelatable story. Because just in general... See, people, I think so too, yeah. Because just in general, I don't know. Like, I've never had any sort of... I've never had an addiction issue. I have family members who have. And yes, you're right, it is a medical condition. But... This movie runs the mill. This movie without Ellen Burstyn runs the mill of being a drug movie. What this movie really is about is the addiction we have to a better life. And I think that's kind of the crazy mm, thing yeah. is the move when Ellen Burstyn starts losing her grip. That is the real like besides and I agree like I really think that Tyrone's Tyrone with blood all over his face is like the movie's tonal shift. The audience's tonal shift goes with Sarah, though. And Sarah yeah. losing her grip on reality is a big shift because we all know the writing is on the wall for Marion, Harry, and Tyrone. We all know what's going to happen because, yeah. quite frankly, it's not an uncommon story. I have plenty of friends. I mean, like I said, I have family members. I have close friends. I have a member of my family who lost their life. And it's just one of those things where you're like, I know what's going to happen, and I can't help it. Like the, It's, it's yeah. there. But Ellen, Ellen Burstyn, Sarah is, Sarah's accountable for herself in a lot of ways, but it's also one of those things you're like, that could happen. That has happened to literally anybody. Yeah. Well, also hers comes from, I feel like the other three characters, there's a sadness and desperation at times, right? Yes. Yeah. So the scene when she, so they meet, they're on a roof, right? When she yanks the alarm so they can hide, right? And they're, oh, we need extra thrills in our life. There's there's moments where you see these people. This feels like a roller coaster ride with them. They're they're just going up quickly so they can fall. Right? You never fully believe they're gonna reach a better place. I think what is really sad about Ellen Burstyn's story in this film is that hers starts at a place of hope, and that's what brings her down. The others feel like they're just on this again, like a amusement park ride, hills and valleys, hills and valleys. Mm -hmm. But again, like you said, we all know where this story's going, right? This is going to be a crash and burn ending, which the movie tells us many times. Hers is she just wants to be on TV, right? She's this it's extra weird and sad this time watching it that all she watches is this same infomercial about we're going to get better. We're going to do this and that. Shooter McGavin's telling her how to fix her life. And I'm like, <laughs> there are how many channels? Like, what is happening? So that was extra weird, too, right? But with her just just that i just want to you know be able to wear that dress 
that links back to this photograph of the proudest day of my life, right? Back when things were good. That's a pretty relatable, normal thing all of us have seen. And to your point, if we don't have Ellen Burstyn, who's a mom, an aunt, a teacher, whatever, most of us can look at the other three characters and just walk the fuck away. This is the slowest moving execution I've ever seen in a movie. And you just, you know what's happening the moment she takes that pill. And I think the fact that she's like, I can still make my life better. And that's what leads her to this. He's fucking, it's hard, man. It's It's really rough. I mean, it's always been one of those things. Like when I watched the, like when I watched this again today, I I realized like Tyrone, I think is the only one uh, Tyrone one might be the only one who actually comes out with a decent, enough uh decent enough life after this like he is in prison we can do our power rankings of who's got a yeah like we'll get to that later but like we can we can do the like who has the best deal but like i've always posited that tyrone's life could be demonstrably better but like that is the crazy thing about this movie is that everyone who's in search of this it's not even like the american dream it's just the dream of better of betterment you know that I think is kind of the sad and terrifying thing of all is that this movie is about like, there are no shortcuts almost. It's this weird kind of thing. Cause I'm not, there's a lot, I've spent a lot of time today trying to figure out what exactly Aronofsky's trying to say in his adaptation of this book, which I've never read by the way, I've never read the book. I would not claim to have read the book, but to me it's obviously about addiction and everything like that. But, I don't think it's about there's got to be there's got to be about it has to be about more than just addiction. And I think that's the thing that I latch on to and I'm willing to like sit through the rest of this movie because of mm-hmm. is I have to I have to imagine this is going somewhere besides like that's very bad. Don't do that again. Yeah, because well, I mean, I think what the movie's the movie. reaching down for is the why do people get addicted, right? Right. Everyone knows these are not good life choices. I mean, I used to, I myself had substance abuse issues for quite a while. Uh, I wouldn't lie and say, like, I'm all fixed up. I did the work. I just had kids and didn't party as much. But, you know, I, I had those nights where you're like, I know I'm making a bad choice. And you just said, whatever, tonight's the night. Like, this is the night that's going to be worth it. Consequences be damned. And it's a weird headspace that a lot of us hit where you just start. And I think that's what the movie's getting to. Why are we addicted to TV and eating more? And I think what they're saying is just so many of us are just so fucking lonely. And that there's this weird pervasive element in the film, right? Because even Jennifer Conley's character, she has this nice apartment. They say her parents pay for everything. And even her, I mean, it seems like that would be great, right? She's trying to get her fashion line off the ground. But even her, she's just like, yeah, my parents just give me money because they can't give me anything. So just like a kid who needs love and a hug, right? Seemingly has everything at her disposal, still falls prey to this. Just because this fucking junkie guy legitimately loves her, right? And she can feel that. And so that is her gate. I think they all have a different gateway drug. Yeah, which is the weird thing because you start thinking that maybe for uh, Jared Leto, it's his dad passing. Maybe Tyrone, right? He told his mom, "I'm gonna make it." In a flashback, like maybe he just she left and she never saw him, you know, make it. And so you never know what these. I think that's what the movie plays with a lot is 
why are we addicted, right? Because the easy right. thing is, oh, it's an addiction film. Well, yeah, no shit. That's like saying Back to the Future is a time travel film. Like, yeah, there's a lot of drugs and addiction. But why? Like, why right. does this, this fucking being on TV, she doesn't even know the fucking show she's going to be on. This could be on a, you're a fucking moron, you right. know, on ABC hosted by Larry the Cable Guy. And she she doesn't know that. She's just excited. And this is the scene of the movie, right? To me, this is the lever scene that we were discussing earlier. This is actually it, I think. So they do the heroin, right? Because uh, they're in there like Goodfellas upswing, right? They're filling the box, as it were. They're like, we just need to test it a little bit so we can make sure how much to cut it. And you're like, yeah, they're fucked. They've already, yeah. they couldn't even go like a day without being junkies. That's what, we know their fate, right? There's a scene when they do heroin, and they do the typical, like you said, the hip-hop montage, right? The lighter, mm -hmm. the sizzle, the snort, the eyeball. They cut that directly into the montage of her grabbing the pills and the coffee. Mm -hmm. And you, oh, my God. And to me, this was my favorite scene in the movie was the the, the lunch with mom, right? Oh, Where yeah. he shows up and he thinks he's got his shit together. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to relate to her and he sees in her what he was. Right. And it is. It's just it's a it's a horror movie it's brutal. like that. That scene is a horror movie to me because this guy thinks he's got his act together, but it's his false love and wanting to make it better. Right. I'll buy you a bigger TV. That'd be like someone buying him like a fucking Gallagher size heroin needle. Right. Right. It's such a an empty platitude. And you see her in this state, but just because she so desperately wanted love. And so we're watching this fucking Greek tragedy just of these two people can never give each other what they need, but they were the only ones that could have done it for each other, it felt like. Yeah. And uh, I think what she says is – I'm going to forget the exact phrasing, but um, she's like, you know, I'm somebody now. Everybody right. likes me now, right? We saw the scene mm -hmm. when the old ladies ran into her apartment to fill out her application. Do uh -huh. you see where I sit? I'm a somebody now. And uh, because of that, she just goes, you know, I like the way I feel right now. And we're watching her jitter. And it's all cued off because he hears her grinding his teeth and he just goes, holy fucking shit. Yeah. And that's the closest she comes to admonishing him, too. How do you know about more about pills than doctors? And you see this crushing. You're like, this is the last scene of of this reality. This story is this family's decimated after this scene. Right. Um. And it's it's just hard, man. And watching Ellen Burstyn, I was like, that's most actors never get a scene like that in their whole life. No, just absolutely rips your fucking soul out. And when they stand up at the end and they're on the far edges of the frame, that just no intimacy. She tries to come closer for a hug, and he's like, "Yeah, we'll come." Me and Marion, uh, talking Grant, but they're just like you can feel them like they're magnets that can't get close enough. And then it's over, and it's it's the last gasp of gasp of hope. It, it unbelievable. It's <laughs> brutal. I mean, it's it's the yeah. mo it's it's oddly in a movie filled with tragedy, probably the most tragic scene to watch a character tell him. It's what it's for me like it's Harry telling himself all the stuff he already knows, and I think that's the thing that's the worst. Is it's just like. There's just no way around it, man. Like you're you're sunk. Like you know what you're telling her is for you, but you're just gonna keep. Yeah, 
it's well then he uses it as a false trigger like oh i better go shoot up and it's like you sack of shit yeah you bastardly <laughs> like but in a way too it's that's just kind of how a lot of life is for some and i think this gets because that that plays right into the assassination so these scenes right in a row you're like oh fuck and to your point right the assassinations where like oh now there's blood on people's hands like the game has changed. People aren't escaping this story, which we kind of know. But this is a really firm flag in the ground. Uh, prepare for fucking annihilation. Yeah. Which is what the second half of this movie is. is just absolute oh. decimation of any joy in your heart. <laughs> I can tell you the last... I remember watching the first time I saw this movie, and I think it was with uh, I think I was with Rob, who was one of the guests for our Halloween month. The guy who... Uh, Rob, who watched a Season of the Witch uh, with us. And I honestly, like, we got done watching it, and I was just like, I'm exhausted, man. Like, that last 30 (laughs) minutes of this movie is the most exhausting experience I've had in a long time. Just dealing with, the like, watching it is bad enough. Because, like, everybody is going through something horrific. Like, Tyrone and Harry are trying to – Tyrone and Harry are trying to get this – heroin from the distributor harry's arm is becoming horribly infected which i think might be the grossest thing i've ever seen in a movie like by (laughs) far one of the grossest things i've ever seen in a movie oh yeah um and then marion is we'll get to that uh and then yeah sarah's like lost her grip on reality she walks outside like that shot of her like walking outside like i think it's sped up film like holy fucking shit dude that is and there's actually a segment Ooh. before that that kind of sets them on this path, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so some of the the scenes of stillness in this movie are really interesting to me. Because one of them you get, you get two of them with um, Leto and Conley, right? So one is when he comes in and he essentially is like, hey, you should go fuck your therapist to get us money. Yeah. And that total loss of innocence, right? The one thing they had, because we saw him earlier, like, don't go to dinner with that guy. Throw him out. Yeah. And now he's asking her to do it, right? You see what this drug is taking from him, right? And taking from them. And that scene is fucking horrifying. Yeah. And that that's one of those still moments. Them on the, the edge of the bath, side by side, but away from the camera, right? We both know the decision they're going to make. But the implications of that. So then she goes and has dinner. This guy fucking grabs her hand. We get one of those awesome flashback or flashaways that they do yeah. where people imagine what they want to do and she stabs him and you're like, yeah, oh no, that's not what happened. No, that's not what happened. Instead, this fucking grease ball, just no shirt on, just paws on her. And it's not sensual or romantic. He's he's gnawing on her like we just watched him do to his food. Yeah. And that's she an just interesting comes back, too, and that's man. when she gets her steady cam shot, right? Very yeah. much like Tyrone's, uh huh. Because that's kind of the end of her previous story, right? Yeah. When she comes back into that apartment, and they sit on opposite ends of the couch, and they just sit there, and you just sit in that fucking silence, right? For a movie that's constantly keeping you on edge. Because I was telling Amy, the weird thing about watching it today is it, and this is part of the the masterful craft of the film is. It feels like I'm being caught in a tractor beam. And every time I want to get my fucking feet on the ground, they're like, 
that's a niche niche. You're coming with me to another horrific <laughs> event you don't want to experience. Like, I feel yes. like I'm totally unable to be in control. Yeah. Which is I mean, very I think rare. that's the in movie that scene, whisks you away. Yeah. In a yeah. horrible, horrible way. Right. In that scene is one of those rare times where you feel like the weight is now pressing you down. Oh, now yeah. my feet are on the ground. Whisk me away. Get me out of here. I mean, they're not the, saying anything. It's horrible. You know, that scene's also really fascinating because when they're at dinner, like the ASMR that's happening where he between him, like eating and the clinking of silver playing shit. Yeah. I drive a Don Stratus, that kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah. And then that hard, <laughs> then that hard cut to him just naked. You're just like, fuck, dude, this is not okay. Like things are, I think that's the thing that I admire the most about the movie. Just like from a filmmaking perspective is you're sitting there and watching this unfold. And like you were saying, it, it just feels like you're being, you have no time to stop and breathe. And that's why I think the end of this movie is so exhausting because yeah. everything happens. It's not necessarily at a breakneck pace. It happens at a speed with which there is no measurement for. You have yeah. no concept of time or space. Things are just happening. And I think ludicrous that's the, speed from space. <laughs> that's exactly ludicrous. Speed. <laughs> it's just well, all it's, plaid but out But that's there. the thing. It's, it's intermixed with scenes where you so desperately want to get away. Right. Like a great example of this is when Sarah makes it to the TV building yeah. or when because Sarah's Sarah has uh, Ellen Burson has the, the most interesting time dilation to me. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's the doctor who comes in. Right. And she's sitting there like something's wrong. Something's wrong. And he's just but, uh, the doctor who prescribes her the fucking pills who never makes eye contact with her once. She's not even a human being to him. And then later when we see her inhumane treatment, you're like, well, what's going to happen to that little fucking cue ball? Nothing. Nothing ever happens to those fucking guys. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so her time dilations, I think, are the most interesting. And I think maybe because she's new to it, right? The others are experienced drug addicts. Right. So maybe they're more used to it, right? But hers are always more jarring in how they whip us to and fro and... Again, there's a lot of times when she's super slow and everything's fast and vice versa. Uh, it is. I mean, I I don't know what to say about it. It gets uh, watching her have her Joker moment into the her apartment becoming a hellscape where the her set her house is the set of the TV show and that her and Shooter McGavin her idealized self break out of the TV just to make fun of her knickknack collection. Like it's one of the of most soul crushing. Shit. Like they didn't even make fun of her. Like you fat pig, no. you disgusting sack of shit. You smell bad. That dress is ugly. They pick up her knickknacks and make fun of them. So like, that is some deep rooted no, uh, self abuse right there. They fucking I mean, it's horrible. I mean, and like everyone always talks about the fridge coming to life. And I'm like, that is the least terrifying. You thing know what the weirdest thing I watched today I was like, is the fridge her inner angel? Like, is the fridge oh, like, totally. come over here, fucking eat something, eat Jesus me. Christ. Yeah, the fridge is like, I'll bring you in here with the calories. <laughs> but she runs away from it and loses her last chance. At say I think the fridge is the good guy. I He's think the fridge is like an fuck. Yeah, I got a couple ding-dongs in here. Let's go. <laughs> it's, oh, God, dude. It's so brutal. And just like, yeah. Yeah, and then every yeah everything she goes through the entire time dilation like it just happens so fast, 
And you're just like, this is, ugh, it's horrible. It does, but then there was also a point in the movie when I go, oh, thank God, it's over. Because my son came home from school. This is what I was watching it, and my son walks in from the school bus, and I'm scrambling for the remote, almost flipped my coffee over. So I'm like, he can't see a frame of this film. (laughs) And I maybe I should show it to him, Pet Cemetery style, right? And be like, this for your own good. Look how bad it is if you do fucking grown-up stuff. But anyways, I'm like scrambling to pause it. And I was like, oh, thank God. I was like, the kid will go upstairs. He'll play with his brother. I'll watch the dildo scene. And this thing's over, right? This thing will wrap up. I paused it. And I was like, oh, my God, there's another 30 minutes. It was, (laughs) I couldn't believe, it was probably one of the saddest I've been in months. And that's coming out of 2020, mind you. Where I was just like. How is there 30 more? How much more can these poor fucks suffer? Because once Sarah gets mocked on the train yeah. and gets laughed at in the fucking studio. Well, not even the people in the studio aren't laughing. They're just looking at her like she's this hideous monster mm-hmm. that they're responsible for as well. And she gets carried out by the cops. It, it was just so much for my heart. And you're just, this is over, right? No, no. 30 more. <laughs> we got to see I how everybody else is it. doing. I couldn't believe it, man. It's whole, I mean, I'll say this, like everyone always talks about this, the Marion scene. Cause like, I actually think the scene before it, where she meets big Tim, big Tim for the first time. And he's yeah. like, I know it's pretty baby, but I didn't take it out for air. That might be the most like, that's like super degrading. I mean, well, that one too, because she calls him and hangs up, and immediately yeah. her. So her her last chance was so short lived. And once she makes that deal with Tim, you're like, well, I know the rest of her story for at least right. as long as this movie's gonna go. It just sucks. It just, it just she sucks because has... even her therapist, the therapist mentioned that they have done this multiple times before. Right. So that's a. I mean, it still sucks that her own. Amour asked her to do this, but the the Tim thing is different and more vile. Yeah, well, it's that, and then the end result is like her final. Like, I can tell you that of all the things in this movie, the thing that sticks with me and makes me most uncomfortable is her final shot, which is when like her fetal position shot, where she's like smiling with elation as she crawls up with her bag of heroin. And I'm like, that is the most fucked up thing this movie had to offer me until today. Well, that that was burned in my brain until today. I can tell you it's, it's a beautiful summation of the film though. Right? Oh yeah. No, it's, which is just the basic human carnage that is left behind in this film. But because she's the only one who's still getting a fix, yeah. she's smiling. Right. She's the, the other one. <sighs> horrifying, right? Although. But she's smiling. She's smiling, but, like, it's short-lived. Like, that's the thing that's so terrifying is, like, the smile is so short-lived. And it's under the guise of, like, you're not smiling because something good happened to you. You're smiling because you have a momentary, like, solace in this fate of of the world just fading out. But like the other, and I mean, honestly, like that was the most harrowing thing until today. Like, and I don't know, I think it's because I have a kid now, but like the Tyrone fetal position shot hit me so differently because he's like going through withdrawals and everything. 
and then he's remembering his mother and like they're just like sitting there holding each other and that's like how i like sit on the couch with my kid and like watch disney movies it's like oh my god uh, yeah like, this felt like ugh. i had been abducted and was being forcibly milked you know what i mean where it's just come come every come. time and it's just these greasy fucking white wall street types in the sweat and when they cut to ellen burston being shocked oh. like if i had seen this for the first time today and we weren't doing a pod that would be a shut the movie off yes it's so and then they were fucking cramming tubes down i mean it's and they're just come 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 and he's getting his fucking arm chopped off and Tyrone's collapsing and throwing up as he's forced to pound rock. Cause I don't know. You could say that Tyrone has the best outlook cause he might oh, get yes. clean and escape. Also, Tyrone he is, is the only one American man now with a major felony in the Southern penal system. So probably, yes. probably not the end of that. Tale. I'm not saying it's but a great, I'm not saying he's in the best position for himself, but he's certainly of all the characters, possibly in the best position to recover. Well, this is the thing. You're like, the life of dealing with whatever's going to be horrible in that southern jail will seem better than the fucking nightmarish, drug-induced fucking hell that we just sauntered through. So in a weird way, you're like, oh, my God. You know a scene that I had never remember? Yeah, them just yelling, come, come, come. That, like, got me. I was like, I'm ashamed that I've ever come. I'll never (laughs) come again. I'm not jerking off anymore. That's someone's daughter. Like I had like grown up emotions watching this today. Yes, I hated absolutely. it. Right, it, it made me so miserable. But then the end. This is the thing. This movie has like Return of the King shit going on, where it's like, stop, Justin. <laughs> like you could have ended this movie at an hour and gotten more in than most movies, but it keeps going, right? So there are a couple moments of just let's just make this worse, right? Let's get the knife in and dig it a little more. So when he's in jail. Right, uh, Jared yeah. Leto, and he calls her, and she's like, "Can you come home oh. today?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm coming, I'm coming." And we know that they know that that's a lie. She's about to go to the fucking uh, Wall Street Bronco Buster party. His arm is fucking falling out. Like, but that little moment of her just—if he shows up, because that—that's one of the things in this movie that kept getting me is how much these characters delude themselves into hope, right? Because there's the scene when they take the bo- uh, he takes more money out of the box to get drugs or whatever. Yeah. And uh, Tyrone gives him that look. He's like, don't worry, man. We'll fill it up again. It'll be like last summer. And you're like, you poor, sad fucks. You sad, miserable fucks. Like, you don't even know that you're getting crushed under the wheel. And it's, it's fucking horrifying. But the one today that really got me, a scene that I absolutely had blanked out of my mind. Sarah's friends come to visit her. And oh, they look yeah. at her. Or what the what's left of her, right? The husk right. of her. Yeah. Which in a weird way, I was like, she looks more back to her normal weight. She doesn't have the big fake orange hair. My nana used to do that too. That weirds me out to this day. She used to have like a big fucking Lucille Ball orange beehive shit she was always going for. Yeah. But anywho, they see her. And she goes back into her room, and they're on the bench just weeping yeah. and hugging each other. And that I started uncontrollably crying at that beat. Of all the beats in the movie, that was the one that just, like, it broke me all the way. I mean, it's because that's 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 because that, that's us. Like, that's that's, I think, the thing that 
hurts the most is like when I watch stuff like that. And especially that scene is I've been that person, like just sort of helplessly sitting there being like, there's something I can do. I can't do anything for this person short of no, there's no explanation. Like I've had those moments where you're just like, there's no explanation for this. You just have to sit in this horror. It's. I mean, that's what I feel like for the last 10 minutes, you just like, this was sad. And you know what? That's what Aronofsky did to us. He didn't give us any more comical grapefruit claymation. He just fucking rubbed our faces in it. And I mean, yeah, to your point, it's the only thing he gave me at the end that was like a little bit. Oh, this might be something to take away is when Leto has his uh, dream, right? Uh She's on the pier. He's screaming the name, but no sound is coming out. Yeah. But Jennifer Connelly's gone. And then all of a sudden, someone jumped off the roof into an alley. In my mind, I was like, who was that supposed to represent? I thought it was Jennifer Conley after the fucking orgy. Yeah. But then we see her smiling at the end, right? So, because he's like, she's not coming back. She's gone or whatever. And I think just his idea of her is gone, right? So I was like, at least there's a moment to like sit and do some art house stuff. You know what I mean? Because it it was just nice to not be doing all the other shit for a minute. It's a really good movie that is yeah. just un unrelentingly brutal, especially at the end. But it's like yeah. that's what it's the yeah. lessons. But I can I can tell this. Story. I had a cousin in my family who had a heroin addiction, and yeah. I remember seeing him at a funeral for someone and just being like it was the same like feeling of emptiness i had watching this movie was just like there's nothing i can do this person is just this person there's nothing there's nothing else and like you know luckily my family like they helped clean him up he was was okay he's been living a good life and he's he's recovered and everything but it's one of those things where like you see you see that and it's just the despair you feel is un it's unrelenting. And that's exactly Requiem yeah. for a Dream is this amazing piece of art that is unrelenting and yet and you want to look away the entire time. And you cannot. Yeah, and I think that is one of the best points though, right? Is this is us being able to play with the scary things in life at a safe distance. Yes. Because that's the thing like you seeing your cousin like i mean I, yeah i've had a lot of friends i was just telling you we have a friend right now is going through a lot of this. and it's hard because when you see people like that in that moment your first thought is they're too far gone there's nothing to do and that's when they need you the most right but something in us is saying nope nope it's over go away and i think that's the tragedy of this movie and why the ellen burston character becomes so important is i think it's easy to relegate someone to oh they're a junkie right they're an other they fucked up right now they gotta pay and i think this movie is one of the best examples right where she's not a person who did anything bad right dieting was pretty hard she wanted to lose weight without putting in a lot of work and you're like right yeah i'm like that in my mid 30s she's fucking 70 like i get it i live my life yeah yeah so she she you know makes a small bargain with the devil and this and that. And I think what this movie does is it lets us get close enough to see that there are uh, human beings piled up in this wreckage. Right. And especially in the world we're in today, there's a enormous problem with this going on. And uh, you know, I think that 
the humanizing element of what really is this kind of art house in your face experience that still is somehow very intimate and immersive. That's the trick that he accomplishes that I find most fascinating in this film. Because usually the more shit like that you do, it's pushing us out of the frame. But this one fucking pulls you all the way into where by the end, you're like the little girl in the ring. You're just like, get me the fuck out of here. Right? It's, I mean, it's a masterful <laughs> job that he accomplishes. Yes. Uh, there's a good chance this is the last time I'll ever watch this movie in my life. I um, would agree with that. There's a very good yeah. chance. In fact, I can almost guarantee this is the last time I will watch this movie in my life. I love Darren Aronofsky. He might be my favorite modern filmmaker. At least he's up there, right? Like a select few. Yep. So I feel like there's going to come a day down the road where he's going to drop a new movie. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I got to go back and watch all of Aronofsky's filmography. And I'll get caught maybe one more time and then curse the gods. Nope. <laughs> or I'll wait till I'm a really old bastard. Nope. And all I have left is my big, giant, black hole of a TV that my ungrateful bastard sons left me. <laughs> and then I'll watch it and feel comfort and solace. I can tell you right now, I will never watch this movie again. I'm almost positive. It's burned in my brain, which is why I yeah. never have to watch it again. It is. It feels like one of those. Maybe watch a YouTube visceral. clip of the, the montage and be like, oh, yeah, I remember that, yeah. that cool stuff. I can always watch there. clips and feel the emptiness I feel when I watch this movie. <laughs> but, like. <laughs> this feels like. Uh, this movie will be I like mean, behind the elevator doors in The Shining, and it's like you press that button, and you're getting all the carnage back. <laughs> I mean, I actually uh, a few years ago, Clint Mansell, who did the soundtrack, did um, a show at um, the Largo out here in L.A., mm -hmm. and I went and saw him. And even him and the Kronos Quartet playing this music made me anxious. Everything about it made me anxious. Oh, this like, used to be our fucking jam, though, in college. We used oh, to yeah. smoke pot to this and be like, oh, God, we just, like, we get it. We get human suffering. You know us, middle-class white kids in film school in Indiana. We know the deep sorrows of the world. It's and amazing. It's, but this soundtrack is burned into my mind as oh, much yeah. as the movie. It's I mean, anything Clint Mansell. I mean, look, I've watched every Aronofsky, every Aronofsky movie at this point yeah. without fail. Like, I... The, the Fountain is one of my all-time favorite movies, and I have no idea why, but I can tell you that music has, again, and this is like, this is an auteur thing. Aronofsky understands the, the, audio, the, uh, the, the audio sensory that he understands about how people's brains work when it comes to music, when it comes to sound effects, and sound design in general is unparalleled, unmatched. There's no movie he has done that does not have a – I don't have a visceral reaction to the – not just the soundtrack, but the sound design in there, general. All of them. There is a really fun double feature that puts your auteur theory – it would be fun to have the auteur theory debate if we watch this and Mother back-to-back. -back. <laughs> and to me, Mother is the uh, Chappelle show equivalent of when keeping it real goes wrong. Yes. It's not oh, that 100%. I think that's like an absolutely horrible movie, but – there are so many weird things in that film that I was like, what? What? <laughs> and so it's like, I feel like this one is peak where everything just clicked. Yeah. It's just not very enjoyable or entertaining, right? It's just like, well, look at that craft. It'd be like looking at someone's got, like Kevin Spacey's character in Seven, like, 
Wow, really good craftsmanship on that razor well, like, dildo. But, well, but see, that's right? like the like, thing about... You can admire that before it rips your guts out. Right. Well, that's like the other thing, too, is like when you get older and you're not in film school and auteur theory becomes like that thing you know about, it's well, also, easier... everyone you ever worked with who talks about it, you're like, oh, that cock. Yeah. That guy who course. thought that my job didn't matter on set. Right. Well, <laughs> that's like the whole thing, though, is like, look, I, I'm... This goes back to like fucking Hitchcock and all kinds of shit. But like, sure. it's one of those things where like, I think it's fun to see people. And that yeah. just goes with people working with the same people continuously. Like Maddie Lubatique's been this guy, Ben Aronofsky's DP since like, I think the beginning. So yeah. like, it's very rare that he folk that he functions outside the group of people he likes working with. So again, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. I'm never watching this movie again, but it's, you know, if we have to watch it with mother, shower. maybe. <laughs> the only thing I will keep from this movie is I was this close to doing a joke on my wife today. Because <laughs> right after I watched it, I went and worked out and I was in the shower and she came in. And I was like, is Don't. this an appropriate moment to Were do that? I know it's pretty, line? but I didn't pull it out. for. <laughs> I was like, is this something at my older age? That my wife will appreciate. And this is how I know I'm a mature man. I thought it. I played it out in my head. Had the laugh internally. Yep. Didn't do it. Exactly. Didn't say it to her. I didn't want to infect her. <laughs> See, and like. <laughs> I thought about that's, it. And you know why? Be, and you know what happened is you thought about it. And you're like, oh, that is really funny. That'd be really funny between us. And then like you thought about more the context by which it happened. You're like, oh, never mind. That's horrible yeah. and terrible. Yeah, in my mind, I'm like, stop taking any joy from this movie. I whip myself a bunch. Also, I love how she's going to be like, hey, I heard your story about how mature you were. Thanks for sparing me and then telling the entire <laughs> Yeah, that's true. So, so, you know, you win some, you lose some. That's yeah. the story of Requiem for a Dream, I guess. That's <laughs> that's it. That's, that's enough. That's my fucking soul is tapped out. Yeah, Jesus H. Uh, we'll be back next week with some lighter resolution fair nightcrawler <laughs> <Just laughs> really sinking into these abysses of human soul um we do have some cool guest features coming up uh we're trying to work on some of that please leave a rating and review please subscribe to our youtube channel film alchemist find us on all the social media you're on email the show film at gmail.com again we'll be back with jake yillenhall in Nightcrawler. Until then, Woo. I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino. 